Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, please download the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You should be subscribed to Mornings with Carmen. You can get it later today at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Um, So let's do a couple of headlines here at the opening of this hour, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. You're going to hear today about some leaked Pentagon documents, the U.S. Justice Department has opened an investigation into these leaked U.S. military and intelligence documents. The Pentagon has um, said, yep, these are real. They look real, but they have been altered. How, um, you know, how much they've been altered, how much has been altered, um, that's still unknown. Um, I will tell you this, just at a cursory glance, here's what you're going to discover. The U.S. spies on everybody. Not that that should be a surprise, but like we spy on our allies in addition to spying on our enemies. And so there's a lot that's going to come out in relationship um, to this. And it all has to do or much of it has to do with the war in Ukraine. But you're also going to um, see evidence in there and discussion in there about um, what is uh, what is happening in our relationship with China. So let me pivot there for just a moment. Just hours after the president of Taiwan returned home from uh, California, she met uh, here with a bipartisan delegation of U.S. lawmakers, including the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We talked a little bit about that last week. The Chinese Communist Party uh, in, <clears throat> in China announced plans to conduct live-fire military exercises in the Taiwan Strait. So these drills, which began over the weekend, um, involved dozens of Chinese aircraft, at least 11 ships. The U.S. 7th Fleet announced this morning a Navy destroyer had sailed through the South China Sea in a manner, quote, consistent with international law, but that China views as provocative. And so the head of Taiwan's legislature has said that he still expects um, the House Speaker McCarthy to visit Taipei. Um, That is a move that is likely to further inflame tension with China over the relationship between the United States and Taiwan. So um, we've already been, you know, concerned about and watching what is happening in terms of the deterioration of U.S. relations with China, and this is only going to exacerbate that further. Those of you who've been looking for an update on Wall Street Journal reporter, U.S. citizen Evan Gerskovich, Um, he continues in, um, in, I mean, he's been imprisoned in Russia under um, espionage charges. And the U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell issued a bipartisan call on Friday 
for Russia to release this U.S. citizen, this Wall Street Journal reporter. Um, and so let's be let's be praying for him. Let's be praying for his family, acknowledging that this young man is very committed to um, to journalism as his chosen profession and to Russia as his chosen place of of serving and exposing truth. So his parents are first generation Russian immigrants from Russia to the United States. Evan Gerskovich returned, well, or went to Russia specifically to become a journalist because he felt compelled to expose um, the reasons that um, that many people want to leave. Like maybe do we just put it that way? The motivations for his own family to seek a life here in the United States. So let's be praying for the Gerskovich family and specifically for Evan as he continues in Russian custody. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. When we come back, we're going to talk about what is going on in um, the Tennessee legislature. You might know that two members of um, the Tennessee House have been expelled by um, their fellow legislators, and we're going to talk about why. And we're also going to talk about whether or not you can use crucifixion and resurrection for pretty much anything if it's Easter week. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So you have likely heard by now that um, there was a breakdown in decorum in the state house in Tennessee. So there was actually this protest um, that resulted in people streaming into the state capitol um, in Nashville. Um, They were protesting gun laws in that state. And three members of the of the House, three elected members of the legislature with bullhorns in hand <clears throat> broke the House rules in participating in and leading that um, takeover of the chamber. So here's the question. Can you bring a bullhorn into the legislative chamber and can you lead and stage a protest? No. I mean, not based on the House rules. So what does it mean to accept and abide by the, quote, rules of the House? Um, Do you get to continue to participate if you refuse to abide by the rules of the House? And if you refuse to um, apologize after you've broken those rules? And then let me ask this. Can you just use crucifixion and resurrection to describe what's happening um, because it's Easter week and you feel like, well, this is a good time to... Uh, traffic in people's emotions and feelings and theological language. So the rhetoric surrounding the expulsion of these two members from their seats in the Tennessee House of Representatives is layered with racist accusations and outright appropriation um, of the weekend's themes of crucifixion and resurrection. And in what I would regard as an attempt to confuse culturally Christian blacks across the Bible Belt, Um, MSNBC um, got on board and attacked the recent vote to expel Tennessee House Democrats for storming the state capitol with gun control protesters. Um, They chose to describe it as um, a scene 
invoking the, the crucifixion and death on Good Friday of three innocent men. That, that is, first of all, that's not what happened on Good Friday. But here is the way that Representative Pearson, who is one of the people who has been expelled from his seat, by the way, here's how he, choo- he, here's how he chose to represent what was happening. Quote, I remember that on Friday, the government decided that my Savior, Jesus, a man that was innocent of all crimes, except fighting for the poor, fighting for the marginalized, fighting for the LGBTQ community, which, okay, if you've read the Bible, that's not in there. Okay, fighting for those who are single-minded mothers, um, fighting for those who are ostracized, fighting for those who are pushed to the periphery, my Savior, my black Jesus, he was lynched by the government on Friday, and they thought that all hope had been lost. So Representative Pearson is seeking to invoke the crucifixion of Jesus as if that is what is happening to him. And you say to yourself, well, I mean, maybe maybe he just got caught up in the moment. Okay, well, what about, what about um, Representative Mark Thompson, who was on MSNBC's The Readout with Joy Reid, and compared the situation of these three Democrats to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ alongside two criminals on Good Friday? Like, literally, this is what they said on air, on television, quote, for these Republicans in Tennessee to do this is for them to be so evangelical and so Bible-thumping as they are, is to realize the irony in trying to expel three, three, <clears throat> he's talking about Good Friday, um, crucified, simply for standing up for what is right and trying to end gun violence in this country. The MSNBC host responded, quote, um, well, I'll just close uh, on this, on his behalf, by saying it's an apostasy. Joy Reid, by the way, calling out apostasy here. It is an apostasy to call yourself a Christian and claim you believe in God and Jesus when what you believe in is death. What you believe in is distributing as much death as possible to as many people as possible, even your own children, because you don't love them like you love firearms. You don't love them like you love the NRA. She went on to add, don't go to church on Sunday and put, you know, your money in the basket hoping you're going to grow a seed and multiply because literally you're multiplying Republican Party as death. And eventually you're also going to multiply your own destruction because those young people are going to figure out one day they can vote you out and they're going to vote you out and your own children are going to vote you out. Watch it happen. Watch God work. So let me just ask, because it's Easter week, can you just use the crucifixion language and resurrection language um, and God language and just apply it to anything? Okay, no, you can't. It, it is a historical event that took place in a particular time to a particular person for a particular purpose. And you cannot just co-opt it for whatever political agenda you happen to be running on today. And your temptation might be on the other side of the aisle to use crucifixion or persecution language. And let me just say, resist that. Resist the temptation on any side of a political debate to co-opt the crucifixion and or the resurrection of Jesus. Like, let his act stand in human history for what it is. And let it be redemptive and powerful. But please don't use it in your political rhetoric to try to score points. 
Now, next up, we're going to talk about Starbucks and we're going to talk about the stars. So there you go. A hard pivot here next. Have you read your Starbucks cup recently? Yeah, neither have I, but apparently it now contains a horoscope. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, let me confess that I have not uh, been to examine the cup. So I don't actually know that this has anything to do with what you may or may not find on your Starbucks cup. Here's what I do know. Apparently last week, uh, in order to celebrate or mark the start of the astrological year at the vernal equinox, um, Starbucks launched an app and it's called Star Signs, and they launched it in cooperation or collaboration with something called Sanctuary. Now, first of all, I didn't even know that there was an astrology app called Sanctuary, but apparently it's wildly popular. And so in collaboration or cooperation with this Sanctuary app, Starbucks now has this Star Signs app, And it features these power words and a a horoscope. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's all keyed to your quote unquote sign. So I felt like this gave me an opportunity to, first of all, talk about your sign. And as a Christian, what's your sign? If you were asked that question as a Christian, what's your sign? Yes, that would be the cross. Okay. And it gives you the opportunity to talk about living under the sign of the cross. You're not, you're not living under the sign. I mean, I can't even rattle them off, but the first one that pops up, if I click on the star signs app, the first one that pops up is Aries. So I'm just going to say, you're not living under the sign of Aries or Leo or Gemini, whatever, Taurus. I don't know what they all are. Um, As a Christian, you're living under the sign of the cross and you're living in relationship to, um, to the sovereignty of God. And so when you look at um, things like these attempts to have a little horoscope every day, I want you to consider like having a verse of the day. Instead of a horoscope, what does it look like to have a verse of the day? You could sign up for that at myfaithradio.com. So what does it look like as a Christian not to live under the nonsense signs of astrology, But what does it look like to live under the sign of the cross every single day? Now, Starbucks has gone on here. You're going to appreciate this. When developing the star sign and its drink pairings, we looked at the core personality traits of each sign to identify a beverage that acts as an expression of your planetary ruler. Okay, so did I sound like I was reading with a sarcastic tone? Yes, I did. But let me say this. 
If you need a website to tell you how to decide what to drink during the day based on some sort of alignment of your core personality traits and the stars um, and, and your expression of your, quote, planetary ruler, if you're literally ruled, you think you're literally ruled by the movements of the planets, I'm just invite you to get your feet back on the ground for just a moment and be rooted and grounded in love. And invest yourself in the study of the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and get to know Jesus and let him be not only your Savior, but your Lord. People are so desperately searching right now for something to give them guidance and something to help them know how to live each and every day that they are following, they are following an app supplied by Starbucks that, quote, gives them readings designed to empower them to lean into an energy with a fresh start of spring. Let me invite you to lean into the energy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's just lean into that energy for just a moment. Let's let's lean into the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who named all the starry host. Um, and as you are living in this world that God so loves, and you see just an extraordinary number of um, references to and appeals to the occult. Like, let me just say that Religion News Service, in the article about this Starbucks app, the person they interview is a witch, a professional astrologer, tarot card reader, and co-author of an upcoming book, about witches. <clears throat> um, witches are real. Witchcraft is real. And the Bible has something to say about it. These are not powers to be trifled with. And so let me encourage you today to seek the Lord, confess your sin, um, runes, tarot cards, horoscopes, witchcraft, on and on and on. It's all forbidden. It's all forbidden. And there's a reason for it, because spiritual power is real. And God wants you to access the power that he is offering in his Holy Spirit, that your life might be worth the living, that you might live in the light, not in the kingdom of darkness. So let's just encourage you, um, encourage you today to Purify your thoughts, purify the way in which you're walking um, in the spirit of the Lord today, and resist the enemy because he's prowling around. He's even trying to make you a drink. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. Okay, for those of you wondering, well, does that mean that Carmen has never read nor watched the Harry Potter series? Carmen has never read nor watched nor concerned herself with the Lord of the Rings um, or doesn't like C.S. Lewis and the way he talks about um, Narnia, which obviously is magical. 
Um, okay, so to the point of a uh, conversation about witchcraft and or magic, there is a difference in reading it as a part of literature and understanding it and discussing it. We have talked about um, the gospel according to uh, Tolkien. We have talked about um, uh, themes in, in Harry Potter at different points in time. I recognize that when we talk about um, the imagination and when we talk about the reality of good and evil and when we talk about Christ figures and when we talk about redemptive storylines, we talk about the power of darkness and we talk about um, war. Yeah, we're going to be talking about storylines that include these things. I'm not saying that these these characters and these character traits aren't real. I'm saying you shouldn't engage in the dark arts. I'm saying you should not engage in witchcraft. You should not um, give credence to these powers and these practices. I'm not saying that they're not real. I'm actually saying that they are real, um, and we should take them seriously. All right, Carol Engel Averyett is going to join us next. We're going to talk about the extravagant love of God. How passionate is God about you? God's really passionate about you. God loves you a lot. In fact, God loves you with an extravagant love. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in Joining us now, Carol Averyett. She's the author of Extravagant Love, Exploring God's Passion for Us. Carol, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you so much. How are you this morning? Well, I, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory, hallelujah. So that's how I am today. I'm uh, I'm living on this side of Easter, and I am uh, not only living in, but reveling in the resurrection hope of Jesus Christ. How are you today? Absolutely. I am just doing superb and looking forward to our chat. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start with the word extravagant, extravagant love. Um, what do I need to know, or how might I need to think differently about the word extravagant? All right. That's a great place to start. We so often uh, use our own points of reference internally to define words, to define situations. And if you were to ask most people today to say, what do you consider extravagant? What is an extravagant person? Well, we might would say uh, that might be someone who has a lot of wealth, maybe a lot of material possessions. Perhaps um, a lot of houses, big houses, a lot of clothes, um, good for lots of good food to eat, a, a lavish lifestyle, let's put it like that. We would not necessarily think of someone who had only one change of clothes, who never had an um, absolute place that he could uh, call his home to lay his head, a, a physical place, a structure. He was itinerant. You would not necessarily call a person who is itinerant without uh, much noticeable income, except those people that gave to him to, to support that person. And yet, Jesus was the most extravagant person when he walked the earth that has ever lived. He was extravagant in ways of love. He was extravagant in ways of his passion. 
he was extravagant in his commitment to people. And so as I um, thought through this book and how I wanted to structure it, and the structure gives you a great insight into the book, I chose 12 characteristics or facets of God's multifaceted love for us. And each one of those things, as I explored different things using Bible verses to explain each chapter and to highlight each characteristic that I identified, I realized that each separate characteristic was also extravagant in and of itself. Let me give you an example. We don't normally think of God's love as thoughtful, Hmm. and yet his thoughtfulness toward us is extravagant beyond measure. We don't often think of his love as creative. And yet his creativity toward each of us is just as creative as all of his creation. For example, if if I have a need, if I have a want, if I have something that I come to him to talk to him about, he can use any aspect of his creativity to talk to me, to deal with that prayer, to answer those prayers. And how he might do that for me might be completely different, uh, Carmen, from what he how he might do that for you. It's creative, mm. extravagantly creative, just as his creation is so creative. And so there are 12 characteristics um, in the book, and each chapter examines in depth, using Bible verses, one of of 12 just uh, characteristics that I identified. They're, they're many, many more. We we can't get to the end of his love. So uh, we just, no, I we love try yeah, you, our, can't, you can never explore all, our, the, all the depths of this, but even as you're just, even as you're just talking about like creativity toward me in the moment, like when we think about um, what Paul says, like no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has ever conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Like we can't even begin to imagine how creatively God is going to answer us, respond to us, encounter us, provide for us. And so just on that, just that creativity note alone, I think we tend to think of God as creator and that being something that he did. What you are provoking us to see is that that is an extravagant way that God continues to love us individually today. Exactly, exactly. Um, Let me throw out one other thought uh, for us to just uh, sort of mull over just a little bit. Again, so often the way we, and and it's the way we're we're made. I mean, this is not like, um, uh, it's the way we are made. We we use our own thoughts and what is inside us uh, so often to, uh, extrapolate or to branch out and say, well, well, that's, you know, that's how that thing is, but it, it comes from within us. For example, so often we judge or we estimate God's love according to how we love, according to human love. And let me just uh, put it this way. We, uh, an author that um, that I know uh, said this one time, um, love is or it ain't. Then love ain't no love at all. And if you, that's said in the vernacular, of course, but if you think about it, 
love is or is it isn't. It's not. It's it's exactly the same thing as saying you know, uh, n- no woman can be just a little pregnant. She either is or she isn't. Mm-hmm. And if you think about skimpy love, the if we're honest with ourselves, that's so often how human love is. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? Because our love is fickle. We 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 think we just you know we just. Um, we we commend our our love. We we tell someone, oh, you know, I'll love you forever. But the reality is that um, oftentimes our love is conditional. Well, you know, I'll love that person as long as they love me. Um, I'll be uh, uh, I'll love that person except you get off get up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and uh, what do you find? Well, your love is a little bit irritable. Uh, it's it's not quite as as strong as you thought. It's conditional. It can be fickle. And if we're truthful with ourselves, oftentimes we have uh, received love that's skimpy or Mm. thin. And then if we go a step further and get really down into our hearts, we have to say, you know what, though? I've also loved some people in my life with a skimpy love, thin love. Conditional, fickle, but not God's love. Hmm. God's love is so completely committed to us. He never has a bad day where he gets up in the morning and says, "You know what? I'd rather not. I'd rather not. Uh, gosh, I'd rather not hear Carol's prayers this morning. You know, her complaining or her. He's like, uh, I can't wait that. to hear from Carol. I can't. I can't wait to hear from Carol today. Exactly. Exactly. And he is that way 24-7. In fact, his heart um, spills over Mm. in rushing toward us, just like when the prodigal son was seen at the end of the lane. The, The father doesn't just stand there and wait for him to come. He runs to him with open arms. It's 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 a beautiful way of thinking about God's love, and it's always there, um, committed, deep, merciful, creative, thoughtful. Um, so so many things that we don't necessarily think about because we compare it to our own, rather um, rather uh, thin, skimpy love sometimes. So we're talking with Carol Ingle Everett, and one of the things that Carol is passionate about is helping us um, really see, really see what God means when he's telling us a story in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And so in order to really see and understand um, what God's talking about, we've got to understand the customs and the symbols that are used. So if um, you've been wondering, okay, when Carol says, well, sometimes we define a term or a word based on our own internal experience of it or the way that it is currently defined in the culture in which we live. One of the things she's doing in this book, Extravagant Love, Exploring God's Passion for Us, is actually helping us to know and see and understand these ancient customs and symbols um, so that we can better understand what the Bible really says. So we're going to continue our conversation with Carol Ingle Averyett here in just a moment. The book is Extravagant Love, Exploring God's Passion for Us. 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commanded dead to wake lives in us. Carol Engel Averiet is our conversation partner this morning. Her book is Extravagant Love, Exploring God's Passion for Us. Um, Carol, when you talk about the way we understand words or the way we define things and the way we define then people and relationships, so often we're just um, creating those definitions out of our own experiences and, um, and what we think about things. And in order to really be Christians, we've got to understand what God has said. And in order to understand what God said, we have to understand the times in which these things were first spoken and the customs um, that that are discussed. So can you give us an example of um, maybe a passage of scripture, a parable or a story where, it, you know, misunderstanding the customs and the symbols means we totally misunderstand the passage? Exactly. Okay. Let me, um, I'll just pull this one out. Uh, in chapter four, I talk about a lesson of bread, fish, and eggs. And the extravagance there that I identified after I delved into this particular passage is generosity. In Luke 11 and in Matthew 7, our Lord is teaching them about asking and praying. And he, he talks about um you know, if 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 a child were to ask a father, you know, uh, for this or that, would he then give them some sort of um, strange gift or or uh, some sort of little gift compared to what they were asking? And he it was so interesting. I had never realized this before until I delved into it. He lists three food items that he uses in this parable. He starts with bread, then goes to fish and then to eggs. Okay, well, we we know in ancient um, times, bread was really a staple, totally uh, beyond anything that we really use today. You know, now today, if we go on a diet, that's probably one of the first things that we cut. We cut the bread. But back back in the day, bread was their number one uh, type of food, their number one sustenance. Okay, fish came uh, uh, about second. Uh, and I think the, um, you know, in the the, the uh, miracle where he feeds the 5,000, he starts with the five loaves of bread and two fish. That gives you some idea of the, of the ratio. So most people sometimes would have fish within a week, let's say, maybe one or two. But but these were usually salted and, and, and small amounts. And maybe if you were poor, you very, very seldom had fish. Eggs is so interesting to me, and I never knew this until I really studied the, the, the ancient times. And Eggs, back then, in Jesus' day, eggs were a delicacy. Why is that? Because they did not raise chickens the way we do today, because they had not learned how to control all the various uh, viruses and, and things that chickens get. That can eat that sometimes can easily spread to human beings. So eggs were a delicacy. Not only that, but most of the eggs that they harvested were from were wild from birds' mm-hmm. nests. So 
little bitty eggs. And yet he says like a like a quail egg. You might exactly you might, yeah, exactly, imagine a quail exactly. egg. Very yeah. very mm-hmm. or even smaller. Yeah, very small. Mm-hmm. And they were used listen to this. This is so interesting to me. As a treat, as a dessert. Okay, so what is he really saying here? We go from bread, you know, their their primary uh primary meal, primary uh, sustenance, primary food. We go to fish, much less, but we go to eggs, dessert, delicacy, treat. He is saying, come to me with any prayer request that you have from soup to nuts, from main sustenance, things that you absolutely need, but don't hold back. You can ask me for something. You can ask me for a treat. You can ask me for something what? Extravagant. And his generosity toward us is exactly as this parable states. He says, I want you to ask me for whatever is on your heart. You ask, leave the answers to me. And out of my generosity, I will answer your prayers with generous answers. It is, it is the most, when I discovered that, I, it, 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 it so enlightened that passage that I had heard so many times. When he says of the eggs, he says, what child would ask a parent for an egg and, and the parent would give him a scorpion? And that is exactly what he's saying to us. And and we, I, I don't know. I think sometimes we come to him. Our prayers are almost, um, our prayers are almost stingy on, on our part to him. And he says, no, no. Bring me any, bring me any prayer. Bring me any, ask me for anything. What does he say later? You have not because why? Because you ask not exactly it is so generous we we look at him as tight-fisted it is exactly the opposite his hands as they were open on the cross are still open to us today all we have to do is put ours inside his mm. it's just so it's just so beautiful so i call that a lesson of bread fish and eggs extravagant generosity carol helps you um see the ancient customs and the symbols and helps us understand what the Bible actually says. Uh, the book is Extravagant Love, Exploring God's Passion for Us. Um, Carol, I want you to be able to talk about your dad. Um, you dedicate the book to him. I want you to talk about the power of a praying dad. I want you to talk about um, the gift that he gave you that you use um, as an opening illustration for the book. Um, because I do think that there is this father's love in all of this. Absolutely. And thank you for uh, asking me that question, because uh, this is one of my my dearest and favorite things. Of course, my dad has been been uh, gone to the arms of Jesus for many, many years now, and I miss him very much and and, uh, look forward to seeing him again one day. My parents were hardworking uh, parents. They hardworking people. Both of them worked six days a week. Um, as uh, in a, a clothing store, 
And but every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, this was back in the day when you had Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night services. We were always there. Um, they were very committed um, Christians. In fact, my my dad was a volunteer prison minister for many years um, on Sunday afternoons. He would go to the prison there and and um, preach to the men. But for some reason, Christianity never took on me. I, I, I don't have an explanation for it. I, I just had so many questions that just did not seem to be or could not be answered. And so as a result, in my beginning in my teen years and on into my 20s, I made terrible decisions, some really, really uh, bad missteps and mistakes and reached the end of my rope. And when I was 30, when I really, really had no place else to turn, I was uh, emotionally an absolute wreck and really had uh, no hope of anything uh, better happening. I had a radical experience one night. And during that experience, I accepted Christ. I turned to Christ. Christ spoke into my mind, into my heart, and I turned to him. And the most interesting thing was that it affected my parents so completely, even as strong Christians as they were, because they knew me better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And they could see in my own life and in my words that I said in my attitudes towards things, the decisions that I began to make, that I had, in fact, done a 180, a complete 180 in my life. And I am convinced, Dad, never stop praying. I say to your listeners out there, if you have a wayward child, if you have a wayward grandchild, never stop praying and never give up. Because God answers prayers. That is the thing that he loves to do most. And one of the things that I think we can remind ourselves of, he loves that wayward child. He loves that wayward grandchild, that wayward friend, far better. Remember, it's his extravagant love. Loves them way better than we could ever love them. Wants them to come to him in ways that we cannot even fathom far more than we want. And so when I called my dad and told him what had happened to me, he got off the phone. He immediately called my mother. He said, I didn't have a single Bible in my home at that time. I look back on that. I was actually uh, working on my Ph.D. in literature. I, mm. I must have had over 3,000 books in my home and not, no a, single, and not a single Bible. Mm. I, I look at that because so, so much of literature Come, you know, they base so many things on this Bible verse or that or some biblical. Carol, we've got to we've got to conclude this conversation. But what a delight um, to talk with you today! Thank you so much. The book is um, extravagant love, exploring God's passion for us. God is passionate about you today. Open yourself up to Him. Thank Him for what He has done for you in Jesus Christ. We would love for you to know the extravagant love of God in Christ Jesus. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.